This is episode 149 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Zapple Pie, Mock Apple Pie Made with Zucchini, No More Bill of Rights, What Every Survival Kit Should Contain, and Two Weeks Without Electricity. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. And before we get started on the podcast, I just want to say uh, happy Monday to you. Hope you enjoyed your weekend. I hope you are looking forward to this week and getting a lot of stuff done and and being a little bit more self-reliant. Just real quick, a couple of things. Uh, We have Hurricane Maria in... um, in the Atlantic gearing up and so it looks like it's going to start strengthening I mean it's already a hurricane I think uh, last time I checked it was like 75 miles per hour winds and it's supposed to strengthen as the week goes uh, and so it's going to hit you know all these all these uh, uh, little islands that got hit before man with Irma I mean you get you have Puerto Rico now when you so like Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic they were just kind of grazed but uh, it looks like they're really going to get hit this time. But some of those those uh, smaller ones, man, are just they're going to get pummeled again, which things are already bad there, and it's just going to continue to get worse. Uh, now, oh, well, it's going to get worse if, if Hurricane Maria just keeps going that way. Now, uh, today I was on Twitter uh, just a little while ago. I was on Twitter and I was uh, hit um, uh, Ben over from Suspicious Observer, and uh, he he. Uh, he's got a new video out. Just there was a new solar flare that hit, uh, that went off on the other side of, of the sun. So it's not, you know, coming towards us. Thank goodness. Uh, but you know, it's like the sun's popping off stuff. Uh, but I wanted to uh, just a couple of little different things here. He said, um, he said it's official. The big sunspot is still alive. So that one that popped off the X flare, uh, a couple of X flares towards Earth. And then, as soon as it was turning, popped off the really big one that could have been really could have been the one that everyone talks about. Uh, and so, but it's still it's still alive and it's it's coming back around. So we're gonna keep uh, keep an eye on that one. And um, he uh, he mentions here also, uh, and I'm just gonna quote this this tweet that he put out. I'm gonna have to be that guy. Due to expected resurgence in solar flaring in three to eight days, hurricane forecast in Atlantic must shift west. And so wherever the Hurricane Maria might be going, um, according to Ben and the way that he looks at uh, you know, solar weather and the way that it affects the earth and from his research, um, he feels like whatever this hurricane is going to be doing, that it's going to be headed further west so does that mean that it could be headed towards uh, more towards uh, Florida again maybe it enters the Gulf and comes into the Gulf Coast again maybe it hits Mexico uh, I, I don't know how far you know when he says west it means uh, west because it looks like I said it's already gonna hit Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic it kinda looks like it's uh, it's a little further west already of uh, you know west southwest of what um, Irma was tracking and so we'll just get another one is another one of those things you got to keep an eye out you know and again it would be totally devastating for uh, for Florida 
uh, it totally devastating if it came into the Gulf and hit Texas and Louisiana. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes open. Keep, uh, you know, uh, put some little prayers out there to the big guy above. And, uh, you know, we'll see where this kind of goes. And, uh, you know, keep keep uh, an eye out on this one. So anyway, hey, one of the things about Ben is anytime he puts out a video uh, over at suspiciousobserver.com, uh, anytime that he puts out a video, it automatically gets uh, posted on uh, the Prepper website Facebook group. So if you're not a member over there, I mean, you can go to YouTube and you can subscribe to his channel if you want to do that. But, uh, you know, it's really easy. It makes it really easy for you. It just pops up over there, uh, you know, within like, I get, you know, a, a couple of minutes of him posting it. Uh, so I have it on like an automatic feed. So, uh, you know, you might want to go over there and be part of the Facebook group. It has it's really been popular here this last uh, weekend. I have uh, probably approved more people than ever in like a two-day period. It was just every time I, I opened up Facebook, there was more people that were wanting to, uh, wanting to join, which is great because we want to be part of it, uh, part of the part of the uh, uh, the group out there that is is uh, providing inf information and helping other people grow and learn in the preparedness community. Um, that's our goal, right? Hey, I do want to bring up, uh, Ray brought up um, a question uh, for the episode when we talked about water on Friday. And he said, hey, I got a big Berkey. Are you, you know, what what is going on with, you know, are you saying that the, the big Berkey is not going to handle water filters and water purification? No, that's that's not what that article, well, at least the way that I'm taking that article. A Berkey is like the Cadillac of uh of water filters and water it, it it does both right you want to have that of course you don't want to throw nasty water in your Berkey because it you know clogs it up and all that kind of stuff so you want you would want to do some kind of pre-filtering first if you were using you know depending on what kind of water you're using you might want to do some pre-filtering if you were just bringing in water from you know whatever source out there um, to throw it in there but uh, that is the Cadillac. So if you if you have a water if you need a water filter water purifi uh, purifier, that is the Cadillac of them. And that's you know if you can afford one, go for it, go get that. Um, what that article the other the article that we read on Friday what that was talking about was more along the lines of if you're doing it on your own without you know some kind of uh, outside filter or purifier or something like that. Um, you know, you were using iodine, you were using bleach or pull shock, and then the other thing was, you know, maybe filtering, doing some kind of pre-filter through a bandana, something along those uh, those lines. And so, uh, no, I mean, that's like if you're out there, uh, you know, and you don't have any kind of water filter or water purifier, uh, definitely, you know, but the Berkey is, uh, is the best that you can get. And so if you can't afford it, you want to get one of those. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you kind of go from there. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there because I know if one person has that question, there's probably other people out there that have that question as well. All right. So let's go ahead and move forward into uh, our articles. I do have four articles. They're a little bit shorter than the articles that I read on a normal basis. And so, uh, you know, just that's why one reason why I wanted to uh, I'm doing four today. This first article comes to us from commonsensehomesteading.com or commonsensehome.com. Uh, and uh, the title of the the blog is Common Sense Homesteading, and um, you know Lori has a you know a great little community over there, and she puts out uh, a lot of content. Uh, this article kind of grabbed my attention because uh, you know it was apple pie. First of all, I'm like, okay, what's that? Was that a, a misprint? Whatever. 
but then it's mock apple pie made with zucchini. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That's got to be like freaking gross, man. What? And so I was like, well, Lori, what are you doing? So I went to go read it and uh, it kind of makes sense uh, what she's saying. And, you know, there's a, a lot of people grow zucchini and there's times, I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but uh, you, you might miss one, one of the, you know, the younger ones when you want to pull them off and you miss it and it's underneath a leaf or whatever, for whatever reason you miss it. And then by the time you see it, it's just big honking zucchini. And so she's given us, uh, you know, so a lot of the times people would say you don't want to eat those because they're just not, you know, um, they're not tasty. They're not like the, you know, there's not the vegetable taste that you're wanting from like the younger zucchini, but this is a great way to use those. And so I wanted to read this. It's a, it's a short article. There's a recipe uh, that you can uh, come away with, and then there's a recipe that you can print off. So if you're into that, you want to, you know, you're printing off recipes that you could use. Uh, this is completely cooking from scratch. So uh, you're not going out and buying, you know, uh, pie shells or anything like that. You're you're doing it all. So again, this is a quick uh, quick little recipe article. So let me go ahead and get to it. Um, the first time I made zapple pie, I served it for dessert when the neighbors came to visit. They didn't believe that it was made with zucchini and not apples. It's a great way to use up those giant club-sized zucchini. One zucchini about a foot long should be enough for one 9-inch pie. Don't use young zucchini. They taste too much like veggies. The trick to getting the zucchini in zapple pie to taste like apples is to pre-cook the zucchini slices with lemon and spices. You can use all granulated or all brown sugar if you prefer and adjust the spice level to taste. I don't suggest swapping in honey because it would add moisture, but maple sugar, coconut sugar, or xylitol should work just fine. You can also cut the sugar a bit, but I wouldn't trim it too much. Dusting the top with sugar while baking is optional, but it adds a nice finish to the pie. A reader noted that it reminded them of Caroline Ingalls' green pumpkin pie from the long winter. Boy, does that uh, brings back memories for me from fifth grade with Miss Gallmeyer. All right, while I haven't tried uh, green out pumpkin pie, I'm sure it would indeed work like a charm. Because there's so much liquid in the zucchini slices, the pie slices will stay together much better if you cool the pie at least a couple hours before serving. If you don't mind messy slices, scoop it up into bowls while it's hot and slap some ice cream on to cover the mess. I prefer glass pie plates to metal because they are non-reactive. I also use a pie drip pan to catch any overflow and a pie crust protector to keep the crust from browning to dark. You can order these items using the links below. And so there's links here for the, the drip pan, the crust protector, and the 9-inch glass pie plate. Alright, so uh, Zapple Pie Recipe. And this is adapted from the Garden Fresh Vegetable Cookbook. Serves 6 to 8 people. Ingredients for the pie crust are 2 cups of all-purpose flour. 1 teaspoon of salt, 2 thirds cup of butter or lard, 6 to 7 tablespoons of cold water. The filling, 6 cups peeled, quartered, cored, and thinly sliced zucchini or summer squash, half a cup of lemon juice, half a cup of granulated sugar, 1 fourth cup of light or dark brown sugar, 1 and a half teaspoons of ground cinnamon, 1 eighth teaspoon of ground ginger, 1 eighth teaspoon of ground nutmeg, 2 tablespoons of instant tapioca, and one tablespoon of granulated sugar reserved until end of baking. Now here are the directions. Prepare the pie dough by mixing together flour and salt. Cut in fat using a food processor or pie blender until mixture resum resembles coarse crumbs. 
Gently sprinkle water over flour mixture and stir together until dough holds shape. Do not overmix. Flatten into two discs and refrigerate. If you haven't already done so, fillet your zucchini slices should be about one eighth to one fourth inches thick. So um, there's a great picture here to let you see exactly what it looks like. So it does after you cut the zucchini up, uh, you know, you're cutting off the, the, the skin and you're kind of coring it. So it does look like apple slices, uh, you know, in, in a way when you're uh, when you're cutting it up the way that she's doing it here. All right. Um, combine the zucchini and lemon juice in a medium saucepan. Bring to a boil. Reduce the heat and cook, stirring occasionally until the zucchini starts to soften, about five minutes. Add the sugar, cinnamon, ginger, and nutmeg and simmer for five minutes longer. Remove zucchini from heat. Stir in tapioca and let stand for 15 minutes. So I got to tell you, looking at this picture, I mean, it just looks like filling, apple pie filling. I mean, it's, it's crazy the way it looks. Preheat oven to 425 degrees Fahrenheit and place a rack in the lower third of the oven. While zucchini is resting, roll out pie crust. I prefer to roll out my pie crust on lightly floured wax paper so it's easy to move around. Place bottom crust in 9-inch pie plate. Cut small slits in top crust for steam to escape or wait to cut slits until after the crust is on the pie. Um, she's got a great picture here of what it looks like. Spoon zucchini filling into the bottom of the crust. Place top crust and crimp edges if you don't cut slices if you didn't cut slices earlier cut them now and then place pie on the rack in lower third of the oven use pie drip pan and pie crust shield if desired bake for 20 minutes reduce heat to 350 degrees Fahrenheit and bake for 30 minutes more sprinkle top of pie with reserved sugar bake for 10 to 15 minutes more until crust is golden and the juices are bubbling through the slits Remove pie from oven and cool on the wire rack. All right, so, and there's other, there's more zucchini recipes if you'd like there. Um, so, and then, of course, like I said, there is the, uh, the printout that you can print if you'd like to make a copy of that very easily. And then in the comments, um, let me see, uh, there is, Diane made this comment, and I was, you know, curious about this one. She said, made this two years ago for my husband's co-workers. They didn't know the difference till they tasted it and made mention that the texture was different but the taste was amazing also made a zucchini mock apple crisp and brought to my mother-in-law and she doesn't really care for zucchini and loved it so uh, man that's a great great way to do it I mean it's totally doable this is an easy anybody could do this recipe when you're when you're looking at I mean, these are easy things to do and so uh, you know you might want to try that if you have some uh, zucchinis that got away from you all right Next article, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this one or not, uh, but uh, I went ahead and, and did it because it's something that we need to consider out there and just put a little bit of thought out. There's so much, when you look on Facebook and social media, there's so much stuff out there. And, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're thinking clearly about it. Um, but uh, so let's go ahead and read this article. It's from the American, AmericanReadout.com. And, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, one, one of the, the, the things about this website is they are encouraging you to move to the American readout. And so, uh, you know, we've read articles before about, uh, you know, from, from this website. I mean, that's one of the goals. They're, they're promoting the American readout, um, you know, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming, as the, uh, um, as the, the website says up here. Uh, but this is, uh, this is an article I want to read. There's some interesting quotes and stuff here that you might be interested in. So let's go ahead and start. 
We're all pretty familiar with modern tyrannical assaults on our First Amendment and Second Amendment freedoms, but were you aware of the erosion of the Fourth Amendment as well? Here's an article that gives an excellent summary of the topic with links. The Fourth Amendment says, quote, The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue. No warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. End quote. If you want to know why this was so important to the founders, I recommend reading Against Writs of Assistance by James Otis, February 1761, in full. Here's a key quote, though you should definitely read the whole letter. And there is a link for you to read the letter if you'd like. Quote, Now, one of the most essential branches of English liberty is the freedom of one's house. A man's house is his castle, and whilst he is quiet, he is as well guarded as a prince in his castle. This writ, if it should be declared legal, would totally annihilate this privilege. Custom house officers may enter our houses when they please. We are commanded to permit their entry. Their menial servants may enter, may break locks, bars, and everything in their way, and whether they break through malice or revenge, no man, no court can inquire. Bare suspicion without oath is sufficient. This wanton exercise of this power is not a chimerical suggestion of a heated brain. I will mention some facts. Mr. Pugh had one of these writs, and when Mr. Ware succeeded him, he endorsed this writ over to Mr. Ware, so that these writs are negotiable from one officer to another, and so your honors have no opportunity of judging the persons to whom this vast power is delegated. Another instance is this. Mr. Justice Wally had called this same Mr. Ware before him by constable to answer for a breach of the Sabbath day acts, or that of profane swearing. As soon as he had finished, Mr. Ware asked him if he had done. He replied, Yes. Well then, said Mr. Ware, I will show you a little of my power. I command you to permit me to search your house for uncustomed goods, and went on to search the house from the garret to the cellar, and then served the constable in the same manner. End quote. Today the leftist attitude is, if you're not doing anything wrong, then you shouldn't have a reason to object to any searches. End quote. Yet the historic fact is that state powers to, such, to search citizens at will always turn into a malicious flexing of the power either to harass citizens or to dig up dirt on a dissident citizen when no other crime or wrongdoing can be identified. Here's the article from the Rutherford Institute showing where we are at today. There's a link there. The most recent you may have seen in the news is a nurse being shoved into a patrol car for standing by sound policy that an unconscious man cannot have blood drawn for police purposes without a warrant. When I studied military law for officers, the, the JAG highlighted how things that were products of the suspect's body, like urine, blood, and DNA, absolutely could not be obtained without a warrant because it also fell under a Fifth Amendment violation as well. Quote, no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, end quote. So, if you are the commanding officer of a military unit and you think one of your men is endangering the unit by illegally doing drugs, you cannot order that specific man to do a urine analysis without an either proper warrant or the man's consent. Otherwise, you are forcing the man, his body, his urine, to testify against himself. Thus, the military only runs either whole unit urine, anal urine analysis for drugs 
or random selections for urine analysis. That way, it's, it is not singling out a specific suspect. If the CO really thinks there's a drug problem, a whole unit urinalysis is legal and catches any offenders. So, this hospital story about a, about a blood draw is not just a Fourth Amendment violation, but also a Fifth Amendment violation too. Back to the Rutherford article. It goes on to detail various instances of fo folks being pulled over for minor infractions, like rolling, to a, rolling a stop sign or flicking a cigarette butt out the window, and then getting a full cavity search simply because the cop claims he suspects drugs. On the women, this also includes forcible cavity searches for, of their most intimate areas. In the 2012 incident of this abuse, multiple women were searched in a row without changing gloves. Hope the person you're riding with has no diseases or infections. Otherwise, the police just spread disease you might have for life. And another, mere suspicion that an adult woman had smuggled a sandwich into a college football stadium resulted in a total strip search. Police reputation. I recently had a conversation with a fellow patriot who is a big supporter of police forces, and in the readout you see a lot of that and for good reason. The police are pretty good here, but he wondered how the population in the U.S. could ever turn against the police. I point, pointed out that the U.S. Marines heavily regulate their own even on off-duty hours, down to the clothes they are allowed to wear. At least that's how it was when I served. The reasoning was pretty good. If a Marine got in trouble off-duty, the news headline would not say Joe Smith committed the following crime, but a U.S. Marine committed the following crime. All Marines would suffer loss of reputation for the bad behavior of one because it makes more sensational headlines. Likewise, for the police across the U.S., when you read the Rutherford article, every incident is police committed this atrocity. This leads readers across the U.S. to think, if police can do that to people there, how long until they do it here? Thus, every story of corrupt, corrupt cops harms the reputation of the good cops. Does that mean stories of corruption should not be reported? No, that would only invite more corrupt behavior unchecked. Rather, police forces should follow the example of Marines and seek to, pol and seek to police their own more heavily. Don't back your own if they really are corrupt and have done wrong, but also don't railroad an innocent member of your team over bogus accusations. Those with power over the public must be held to a higher standard of justice, or else that power will become fiercely resented, as observed in colonial American attitude toward the state police or the redcoats in their time. So where is the justice? Imagine you live in one of the more totalitarian-leaning states in the USA. You get pulled over for not using your turn signal long enough before changing lanes, and the cop doesn't like your tone of voice. Next thing you know, you and your wife are getting a full cavity search on suspicion of drug use, and just like in the news article linked in the Rutherford summary, cops hold her down, legs apart, while they forcibly probe her most intimate areas. What is your recourse as a citizen? If you follow some of these cases as I have, sadly you see cities defend these blatant abuses of power saying that the police don't need to be expected to know your constitutional rights. You take it to court and it looks like a slam dunk case. Sadly, the court cases might not end until 5 or 10 years down the road. Do you want to continue living in an area that defends that sort of behavior in their police for up to a deca decade while you fight it out in various levels of court? And if you finally get your day and justice is served, 10 years later, how many other people were hurt 
by the bad cop the government defended during those 10 years? Does he still even work for the department or has he since gone on to retire and live the good life for service to the public while you're still fighting for your right not to be abused by government representatives? And if the final verdict is nothing more than a hefty fine on the department for having not trained their officers better, guess where the fine is getting paid from? John Q. Taxpayer, which includes you if you live in that area as well as all of your neighbors. The cop who did wrong and the government who protected him are free to carry on while their constituents foot the bill. What to do? Change is coming for the USA, and it might be pretty painful. In the meantime, you may want to consider living somewhere with peace officers, not law enforcement thugs, who know and respect your rights. Hint, the American Redoubt. All right, so like I said, this is going to be, you know, the purpose is to get people to think about moving to the American Redoubt. As I read that, some of you are really upset the way this article would have come around. And then other people are like, yeah, you're cheering on this article because you completely agree with it. And the thing is, is that there needs to be, um, there needs to be a balance. I mean, we've got crazy things going on in St. Louis, and I haven't tracked it today, so I don't know what's going on on Sunday night, and there's still riots going on. But, uh, you know, I saw some of the video and some of the pictures, and it's crazy. Um, you know, to be honest, I don't follow it so closely enough to know what, what exactly happened with this, uh, with this police officer or what happened and how it all went down. But there are going to be times when police officers do get off and they really should not have gotten off. There's going to be times where the justice is served and the right thing happens. And, you know, the police officer is not made to be a scapegoat to make sure that everyone doesn't riot and protest and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the thing is, I love this idea of that, you know, police should police themselves and how important that is. You know, when you saw the video of the, the nurse being hauled off, there was other men that were around there, other police officers that could have told this one guy who he was just out of, he's like, dude, settle down. You're out of control. What are you doing? You know, calm down. I mean, you know, you're, you're a little crazy here. Uh, you need to go take a break. Go over here and calm down or something. There needs to be that aspect of it, um, you know, so that some of these things don't happen. The other thing is, is that, you know, I'm sure that there are some places that are, you know, a little bit better than others as it goes to, uh, you know, police officers and their, their behavior. Uh, you know, so I understand what this person is saying about the American readout. Uh, there's other places as well, I'm sure, that are, uh, you know, that the police try to do a, a real good job of making sure. And you know what? The, the thing is, it's just like everything else. There is the good and there is the bad. And, you know, you can see things on, on YouTube and you see those all the time where a police officer has done something that they shouldn't have done and people just start ripping that. And then you see videos of police officers doing the right thing and doing the good thing. And, uh, you know, people people praise that. So, um, you know, we, one thing that we do want as as uh, as Americans, right, and as patriots is we do want to keep. We, you don't want to just become so uh, used to this or the word that what's the word that I'm looking for you don't want to become so numb right to what's going on or you don't want to just not care because it could go in a position in a way that you don't want it to go you don't want it to become more tyrannical you don't want it to become more you know you don't want it to get it that way because then at some point you know it's like when you're ready to stand up you're ready to say something or ready to defend one way or the other. It's, you know, it might be too late. So, 
you know, we need to defend our police officers. We need to support them, the good ones. And, you know, we need to, if there are police officers that are not doing the right thing, that are abusing their power, just like everybody else who would abuse their power, you know, they need to be held accountable to that. And so I think now with, uh, with uh, social media and stuff, that's a little bit easier to do. Uh, but, uh, you know, something to consider. So I spent a little bit more time than I wanted to discussing that article. Uh, so we'll kind of move on from there. But uh, go check that out over at the American Readout. And it's always interesting to look at uh, where our founding fathers were and where they, uh, where they, uh, how they thought in their thought processes and some of the reasonings why they did things. And uh, kind of parallels were, were some of the things that we're at today. So you can go uh, click some of those links over at AmericanReadout.com. Our next article comes to us from PrepperBits.com. Uh, and Jason is, uh, Jason is the, uh, the owner over at PrepperBits. And this is uh, a fairly new website that we've been linking to on PrepperWebsite.com. And uh, I think this is the first article that we have uh, read here on the podcast from PrepperBits. And uh, it's... You know, it's this article is entitled "What Every Survival Kit Should Contain." I know that this is one of the big deals when people start thinking about preparedness. They start thinking about kits and and things and what what should I put in there? There's a bunch of different types of kits, and uh, but there's some some common commonalities of equipment and gear that you should have across some of these kits. And so this is what this article was discussing. And so I want to uh, I want to read this one and then come back with just. Uh, a few thoughts, all right? I hope that you never find yourself in a situation where you need a survival kit to survive a disaster or emergency, but it's still a good idea to prepare a survival kit just in case. Preparing for a disaster is necessary in this day and age and will give you a peace of mind that, you re- that you're ready and prepared should an event happen. Don't forget it doesn't always have to be a doomsday event that you are planning for. Things happen all the time, even in built-up urban areas. One recent example of this is the Grinfell Tower Fire, where a 24-story block of flats in North Kensington, London, caught fire, resulting in total evacuation of its residents and, sadly, loss of life. Another example would be having temporarily to leave your home for a few days due to something as simple as a gas leak. You may need to rely on a survival kit to use at home during a power outage. There are many unexpected situations that can occur in everyday life, so it's best to be prepared. Different types of survival kit. While it's not an exhaustive list, here are some of the well-known types of survival kits. The bug-out bag, 72-hour kit, get-home bag, car kit, everyday carrier or EDC, and a grab bag. Must-have survival kit list. When planning the contents of your survival kit, there are certain items that every survival kit should contain. Nowadays, survival kits are readily available to buy or you can create your own. I prefer the latter because not only is it more cost effective, you will also learn much more if you research and build your own kit. I'm going to agree with uh, Jason on that one. Uh, I don't know if I would buy. There are some some outfits out there that are putting together really good quality kits, you know, with, with gear that's not you know, cheap break stuff, you know, things that's going to break, you know, first time use type stuff, but uh, they're going to be a little bit more expensive. And so you're going to get a kit that's already kind of pre-made. I like that idea of building your own. All right, let me continue on. 
Whether you're planning on building one of the above kits or planning for a specific survival disaster scenario, below I will list the most must-have items that every survival kit should contain. You will carry some of these items on your person every day in the form of your everyday carry or EDC. Others will form part of your emergency preparedness kit, which is a survival kit that should be ready to grab and go at a moment's notice, often referred to as a 72-hour kit designed to help you survive for a minimum of three days. So here are some of the list of, of things that you should have. A multi-tool, for example, a Gerber or Leatherman or Victorinox, flashlight and extra batteries, waterproof matches, magnesium starter, compass, lighter, first aid kit, a whistle to signal for help, a can opener, maps, documentation like identification and medical history, medication list, emergency contacts, smartphone with survival apps, phone charger and backup battery, battery powered or hand cranked radio, prescription medications and glasses, emergency reference materials such as a first aid book, paper and pencil, food, at least a three day supply of non-perishable food, a dust mask to help filter contaminated air and plastic, sheeting and duct tape, to shelter in place, moist towers, I'm sorry, <laughs> moist towels, garbage bags, and plastic ties for personal sanitation, water filter, sleeping bag, zip ties, paracord, tinder, emergency blanket, water in a reusable bottle, extra clothing, and weather protection like sunscreen, hat, rain jacket, etc. The key to preparing the right survival kit is planning and research. You can never be over prepared. Start by browsing online prepper, prepping forums, and websites that specialize in emergency preparedness and disaster planning. A lot of these will give you access to free prepping and survival-related resources and downloads. You may be interested in reading our recent post about emergency survival supplies, planning, and which talks most about the importance of proper planning. While you're here, why not check out our own prepper resource section, which we'll be constantly updating and adding to. Once you've decided on the scenarios you're preparing and what your survival kit will consist of, if you haven't already, you're going to need a suitable bag to carry it. Have a look at the following articles by TopSurvivalPreps.com to learn more about bug out bags. Alright, so um, there's a couple of things here that are a little redundant when we talk about uh, kits. You, you know, if you're, and here's, so here's the thing. You need to think about what kind of kit you have because that's going to mean everything what, what are you doing so you should have a fire kit I think a fire kit is always important but you might not need a magnesium fire a magnesium starter I mean if you're doing that I mean you've got lighter you got matches depending on how big your kit is um, you know those kinds of things I think that having a way to get to documentation important documentation like uh, you know maybe uh, uh, your uh, passport uh, birth certificates, those kinds of things. If you don't have them on you or you know, you're, you're in a, not in a situation where you're at home and you're able to grab them and go, but you have copies of them somewhere uh, so that you're able to have those in case you are in a situation like your house gets destroyed. I mean, here in Houston with Harvey, people's whole homes got destroyed. And so all their documentation, because you're not thinking about it, if it was one of those things that happened so fast, you know, you've got birth certificates that were ruined, and you're going to have to go find those. You have passports that were ruined, and, and you know, and, you know, wedding certificates, and all those kinds of things uh, that that just really sucks. On top of all the the things that you're having to deal with, you know, then you have all this other stuff. You know, uh, you know, your title to your cars, and and, and all that stuff. So, um, 
it's good to have copies of those maybe like on a USB or maybe you have you've taken pictures and maybe you have hard copies uh, those kinds of things I think that a phone charger and a backup battery uh, is always I think that if you have a new if you have a smartphone you should buy one of those and you should they're very cheap I have linked to those battery uh, chargers in the past uh, there's a you know a cheap one that I that I have bought it's supposedly supposed to be solar but I don't we don't use it for the solar part of it and actually you know, when you go to Amazon and you look at it they'll tell you tell you the solar part of that is only like if you're like in real desperate need um, the best way to do it is just to charge it with the power with regular power but again the the thing here is to think about what you uh, you know what you're doing where you're at how this kit is going to be utilized because you you're not going to if you're like going from home to work and you know work to home uh, you're not going to want a whole full bug out bag type scenario going on you're going to want something that's going to get you to your house or to your work and then get you back home and anything that you need in between there right if you if you have the ideas like I'm going to get it back home and for instance I work very very close to home so you know all my stuff is going to be geared to I know that I'm going to be coming back home I'm going to be meeting my family I'm going to be you know we're going to be whatever we need to do and we're doing it that way um, I have uh, and I've recently written an article on it just like an urban uh, like an urban and I wouldn't even call it survival kit but like I guess it is an urban survival kit things that I use and it's not necessarily stuff for like wilderness survival or anything like that it's stuff that I use that uh, if when I'm at the office and I'm like hey I, I wish I had this with me things that over the years I have added to it or I've put together or or I, you know I've had them maybe loose in my bag or whatever and now I have them in a little kit uh, I w recently went to the dollar store and put some things together and I'm like alright hey this is you know and you know what I use that I use those things more than I use uh, you know kits that I have made for um, you know for uh, 72 hour or bug out bags or anything like that uh, I use my little first aid uh, Altoids tin uh, more than I use anything else, you know. Uh, a lot of the times with people down here in Houston with allergies, I'm like, I have essential oils in there. So uh, I'm going to link to that article because, uh, you know, that that's one that is just easy to make. And uh, I keep that one uh, keep that one around. I'm actually, I need to make a few more because I want to uh, give them away to some friends. And, uh, you know, have the have them in, in uh, where it's easy to kind of just, uh, carry them in purses and things like that for my wife or my kids, you know, in their backpacks and stuff like that. So um, anyway, you really got to think about your kit and what it is. You don't want to get online. You don't want to find a big old list and start buying all that stuff off of Amazon. You need a kit for what you need it for. And so that's why uh, Jason here in this article is talking about you need to research. You need to think it through. You need to uh, think about what your plans are and how you're going to move forward with that. All right, so that's over at PrepperBits.com. Our last article comes to us from ModernSurvivalBlog.com. Ken has, uh, like I said, all I've said before, has a great community over there. Uh, you know, any article that he puts out, he always has tons of comments, which are always very, very helpful. And so this article is two weeks without electricity. And you know what? Uh, I don't know when he exactly wrote it. It says September 10th. If he's like me, you know, there's times where I write articles and they just kind of sit uh, wait, waiting to be released. 
And so he might have written this before Harvey or Irma, but there's people, you know, in Florida uh, I, that are probably without electricity. They, they're going to be without electricity for a long, long time. And so they might be in a situation where they're dealing with something like this. So uh, this article looks at uh, two weeks without electricity from uh, the standpoint of having a generator and then from the standpoint of not having a generator. So let's go ahead and read in, read this one. And then I want to, there's a, one comment that Ken responded to that I want to read. All right, so two weeks without electricity. How many times throughout our modern history have natural disasters damaged the electrical grid infrastructure of a region? Lots. While it's not the normal circumstance, two weeks without electricity can certainly occur and you can survive it. Let me say this, though. Today's modern way of life and infrastructure depends on electricity to function. For those not prepared, it's a shock to their normalcy bias, and going two weeks without electricity is not going to be easy. Here's the thing. Lessons from history tell us that it's entirely doable. People used to live their entire lives without electricity. The problem is that our modern society doesn't know how to live without it, so what to do? How to live two weeks without electricity. First, if we're discussing this in modern times, it means that there has been some major disaster. One good example might be a major hurricane blowing through a region and tearing down trees, power lines, and causing massive damage to the grid's infrastructure. Which systems affect you most without electricity? Systems in your home. Water, if you have a well, your SOL. Lights, refrigeration, a stove or a microwave, TV, news and information, internet, air conditioning, heating, and hot water. Systems outside your home. Stores, gas stations, ATMs. What to do about it? A generator. The one thing that can mitigate most of your problems inside the home is a generator. Lots of people have them and lots of people don't. Those who have them probably or hopefully already know how to properly use them. These who don't, those who don't and those who run out and get one, you better understand a few important things. Never operate the generator indoors, including your garage. Carbon monoxide is odorless and can kill you. Regardless of that, everyone should have a carbon monoxide detector in their home. If you have the budget, a whole house generator and professional installation is the ultimate. It costs though. Otherwise, a standalone generator will enable you to run an extension cord or cords to have the critical systems of your choice inside the home. All generators have a built-in circuit breaker, so if you overload it, the power will trip off. The size of the generator is your choice. For perspective, I have a 4500 watt generator which operates all my systems without issue. In fact, I have a 3500 watt which also runs them without issue. Two chest freezers, refrigerator, propane furnace, and hot water. Well pump, gas stove ignition, although a match will work. My lighting, I have LED bulbs everywhere, and even my TV. Admittedly, if everything powers on at once, the breaker might trip, but just beware of what you're running. Without a generator. Water storage. Chances are that for a two-week disruption, your municipal water source will keep on running. They have generators and many are gravity fed from a water tower. If you have a well pump, you will need to have stored water ahead of time. Otherwise, you need to drive out and get some. You will be surprised how much water you go through. The most is used for flushing toilets throughout the day. Be aware of that. Flush sparingly. And then there's a how to flush a toilet without running water. Uh, I guess the old saying is 
If it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. Uh, things to consider when you're uh, when you have limited water supply. Two weeks without water. If you have no other way to get some, they say one gallon per person per day. That's 14 gallons per person for two weeks, and that's really sparing it and doesn't count toilet flushes and other uses. And there's links to seven-gallon rigid water uh, container and 55-gallon water storage. I guess th those are links to Amazon. A water filter. Everyone should have a good drinking water filter, period. If you don't, get one. A cheap but okay is the Life Straw, and expensive but the best is the Big Berkey. The Life Straw, and, and I've talked about this before, uh, guys, if you have family members who are not into preparedness and they don't care to learn, but you want to build them a kit and you want to have uh, you know, a way for them to, to have water and some kind of uh, you know, uh, filter, then the Life Straw is the easiest because you open it up, you pop off the top, you stick it in the water and then you start sucking it up like a straw and so that's the easiest one uh, to get all right moving on lights you can live without it our ancestors did however the obvious comes to mind led lanterns flashlights and candles be careful with candles and then like i said he has a um, well, there's an article here uh, led lantern technology for preparedness refrigeration and freezers everything in your refrigerator and freezer will need to be consumed or thrown out you might get 48 hours or so if you cover with blankets, but consume these, but consume these foods first. There will probably be some loss, but that's just the way it will be. You will need to have foods that do not require refrigeration and enough of it. And enough of it. I always laugh when FEMA encourages people to have three days of food and supplies. That is a complete joke. They were even saying it during Hurricane Harvey and Irma. Three days. I don't think so. Two weeks is an absolute minimum of this kind of preparedness. And I, I got to agree, three days is, is nothing. Uh, three days, you go through three days just like that. So um, continue, continuing on, canned foods can be consumed without cooking, although it may be more palatable if you heat it up. Next time you go grocery shopping, look for food that you can simply put on your pantry shelf and not necessarily in the fridge. You might consider getting a supply of professionally packed food storage. And there's a link here uh, for that as well. Stove cooking in microwave. Certainly an electric stove won't work without electricity and most people have this kind of stove. A camp stove will come in really handy for sure. You can use barbecue grill for some things, but a camp stove will replace your stove top for cooking things. And then there's a link there. TV news and information internet. This is where a good battery operated portable radio will be very useful. While you could go out to your vehicle and turn on its radio for news and information, it will be convenient to have one in the house. Air conditioning and heating. Our ancestors survived. It may not be comfortable, but in many cases you can deal. That said, there are situations where you will be in deep doo-doo without it. Without heat in the winter up north will be a very bad thing. For two weeks, your house pipes could freeze, if cold enough, causing major damage. Only alternatives, including draining pipes and leaving home or alternate heat. Wood stove, even a pellet stove, requires electricity. Note, if you live in a modern urban apartment building and it's summer and very hot outside, it may become unbearable inside due to the design of HVAC systems today, while some windows may not even open. And that's especially true if you're in like, there's some advantages to apartment dwelling. You know, if you're like on the second floor, third floor, 
uh, as far as security, I would think, because if people were to you know break into a home, they would want to get in and get out pretty quickly. I would think that the first floor, uh, you know, that they would be hitting first floors more often than going to the second or third. But one of the things to remember is that um, heat rises. And so uh, that was my experience is that our little apartment was a little bit hotter than I would have thought it would have been. So our AC ran a little bit more uh, when we were first married. All right, hot water. About the only way to get some hot water will be to use a camp stove. Hot water is useful for washing and sanitation. Do you have a big pot for this? For systems outside your home, cash. Keep an amount of cash on hand. No electricity means mo most store checkouts registers won't work. However, some of them may accept cash assuming that they have supplies left, which you stock up ahead of time anyway. Gas. Finding gas stations that are functional may be a challenge. This is mitigated by keeping a full gas tank in your vehicle and some filled gas cans at home. Use a fuel additive to preserve the shelf life up to a year. This is the best product out there for that, and that's fuel stabilizer for long-term storage that links to Amazon. So the summary, the brief, this brief discussion above should help you get started towards getting through two weeks without electricity. There's more to it, of course, but think about the essential systems first and find a temporary solution for each of them. You can easily survive this with a little preparedness. Life will most definitely be different during these two weeks, but you can survive. Uh, and then uh, there's a link here that says read a book and there's a, um, a link to an article or his survival library on uh, Modern Survival Blog. Alright, so I wanted to read this, uh, this comment by Ken. 3500 watt generator uses a lot of fuel. And then Ken responded, yes, all gener generators use a good bit of fuel. Here's how to help with that issue. Only run the generator for a while, say one hour, enough time to get essential systems up to par. Then shut it off for, say, four hours. Repeat. Adjust runtime for your own systems and whatever works. This drastically reduces fuel consumption. A few years ago, I built a spreadsheet so I could play with the numbers for my own generators and their fuel consumption so I would know how long I could stretch out a given amount of fuel storage. One example regarding my 4,500-watt generator. It consumes 0.3 gallons per hour at one-fourth load. If I run it for one hour, then off for four hours, repeat, I can squeeze 22 days out of 20 gallons of fuel. Otherwise, it would run for 2.8 days on 20 gallons of fuel time. Times will vary, of course, depending on loads, etc. But as you can see, this makes a big difference. So I mean, that's a big difference. 22 days worth uh, versus 2.8 days. And so... Um, I know that in the past, you know, like uh, I had uh, my in-laws when uh, the last hurricane ripped through and they lost power for days, um, they, they ran their, their generator like it was tied into the system and so their electrical system. So they ran that for days and they ran it like, a, like regular power, right? Uh, and, but with that, you have to make sure that you're going out and you're getting fuel all the time. You're, you're finding, uh, you know, gas stations have to have fuel and you have to uh, have enough gas cans to uh, get you through the night and the day and then, you know, go and refuel and all those kinds of things. And that was, that's what was going on. 
Uh, and if that's available and that's possible, okay, fine. But if it's not, and you don't know, like uh, some of these places in Florida right now, they're not sure what things are going to look like. I, I, you know, the Florida Keys are like totally ripped up. And so they might not have the, the infrastructure. They might not have the gas stations uh, pumping uh, like they would want. And so uh, getting gas might be very, very uh, hard to find. And so you'd want to stretch it out as much as possible. It would be miserable. It would suck big time. But, you know, you don't want to lose, you know, some of your important items in your refrigerator and things like that. You want it to last as much as possible. I would think, especially down there where uh, they're not sure how things are going, you want your refrigerator and your freezer to last uh, as much as possible and eat, eat those things up. So that's over at Modern Survival Blog. There's a lot of other comments there that you can go read, and uh, you always learn a ton of stuff uh, from the comments. So. All right, hey guys, that's uh, that's it for the podcast, for the Monday podcast. Thanks so much for starting your week off with us. Hey, if you get a chance, come drop me a line in the comments of episode 149, or you can uh, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you haven't come join the Facebook group, we'd love to have you over there, and make sure you, uh, you sign up for the mailing list as well. And when you do, you get to be a part of uh, the free e-course of more self-reliant life. And you know, I have decided that that is not going to stay up for the long term. I am working on something else to kind of replace it, but it won't be the e-course. So if you've kind of been, you know, hanging off on doing that, uh, I try not to spam people, guys. I really do. The e-course, you're going to get emails on a regular basis. You know, until you finish that e-course, you're going to get one every week. Sometimes you might get two, uh, depending on how it all kind of plays out. But I try to send out one uh, another uh, email on Monday just to kind of touch base with everyone, let you know that I'm alive and kind of keep you updated on what's going on or, or provide, you know, give you any free resources that I'm, that I'm finding or whatever. You know, try to do those kinds of things. But I try not to spam you. So, uh, you know, but, you know, there's some people who, who just want to come be a part of the course and then, and then bolt after that. And if that's what you want, that's fine. You can do that. Uh, I think that email lists are so important nowadays where uh, you have these big businesses like Facebook and YouTube and Google and they can, they can, uh, you know, they can pretty much, if they want to, they can shut you down and you don't have a way to communicate with, with people. Um, you know, even if for some reason the website or the podcast was shut down, I still have the email list and I can still communicate with people out there and, and let, you know, let you know what's going on. If there was ever something really, truly major that I was getting a whiff of, or, or let's just say there was a big solar flare that is like, hey, it's the big one, I would immediately send out an email uh, and just kind of let you know. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know if, the, if, that, if that's ever happened, uh, so who knows. But uh, definitely uh, try to stay connected. So if you haven't become a part of that email list, come uh, be, be a part of that and uh, join that community as well. So with that... Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.